Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Podcast. These are the discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting. Well, uh, Jonathan, we're back for episode two. And what did we say last time? It's season nine. I think I think we agreed. I we both agree that it's it's somewhere around there. We've been doing this for a while. But last time, if we can just kind of grab back on our memories, we we really covered um, a very deep, nearly we, we talked about this nearly blasphemous complaint, and, and we saw so much grace in that. Um, and, and now here we're going to really be picking up the rest of Habakkuk chapter one. And, um, one thing that we should expect then, like if, if you're going to (laughs) complain to a good God, a God of grace, um, at the end of the day, you got to expect a response and, and we're going to get one here. It, and it's and it's going to come fast. It, it's going to come directly, like in in a New York kind of way. Like in New Yorkers, we just come right out with it. Um, God's going to do that here here in these verses, and we might we might be able to put our arms around it by calling this a discipline, a word of discipline, or a word of rebuke. And it just Jonathan. To, to frame it like that, I think it's a helpful way to, 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 to frame it like that in a biblical way, uh, is to honor the scriptures where, um, especially in the New Testament, we're told that, that the scriptures are there for that very purpose, sometimes to correct and rebuke. And it, it, it kind of makes me think like how little Christians think about that, like actually coming to someone and saying, no, you're wrong about God. And you're and, and you're wrong about what you're thinking. Well, um, in a sense, right here in the book of Habakkuk, for the very first time, because before it wasn't true, but for the very first time, this book is going to get prophetic in our lives, and that's, that's right. Oh, it's so it's so important. So last time we talked about complaining. Well, the counterpart to that, then, if we're going to be bold enough to complain, and we need to sometimes, would be that we want to be able to receive a rebuke well. And, and nobody, it's almost like nobody knows how to do that. So we want to learn from Habakkuk today about how to receive a, a rebuke well. Well, and what the scriptures teach about it, I, I agree with you. Like if you, even if you look at um, like popular sermons series in, in churches today, like I'll bet, I'll bet it'd be pretty tough to find a sermon on chastisement like that's not even a word it in in uh vocabulary what is chastisement we don't even use the word anymore rebuke um discipline all of these things like whoa that's not what we're that's up for kids for. right not for adults <laughs> and and not and, and so that i think it's good for us to um use that category to, to think about this text um before we move into that any further, I, I just want to point something else out here that I think is helpful for Christians to think about more broadly is that um, here Habakkuk's complaining, he doesn't understand, he doesn't get it, and we'll cover that in more detail um, as we go along here today too. But um, one thing to think about is sometimes um, it's best that we don't try to get answers. <laughs> the Lord... <laughs> The if Lord do doesn't always up. want us to know, you know, and here Habakkuk's like, I want to know, I want to understand. And then, and then, uh, you know, just to, but like, I don't want to talk about this too comically, but it's, it's a little comical if you think about it, like, Hey, Hey, um, Lord, I'm, I'm upset. I don't understand. And the Lord's like, you're not going to understand even if I told you. 
And Habakkuk's like, I want to know. And then the Lord's like, here's, here's what it is. And Habakkuk's going to be like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not only I don't get it, but like, but like, Lord, you sure seem uh, wrong. Yeah. Wrong and evil. Not here. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's, what's going on with you, Lord? Yeah. So there's good reasons can... to just have faith in life, but the narrower category here, I think that we can give some structure to this for our thoughts is, is rebuke and chastisement and discipline and walking on coals and going through fire and all that stuff. <laughs> we'll talk about it. It's so important. So like, let me see if I can get this right, Jonathan. What we wanted to do is really look at how to receive a rebuke well. And so part of that, so we're going to look at that really in four ways, if I remember right. The Part of it is just recognizing and discerning the reality of rebuke on your life, which is a really difficult thing to do. Like when God is, is putting you through the ringer, when he's testing you, just being able to see that and say, that is God um, disciplined me and I, that I need to learn something in this is um, an incredibly spiritually mature thing to do. And transformational. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to argue and trans- transformational. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the first thing we're going we're gonna to look at. And we're going to show you some things in, in Habakkuk uh, chapter one, verses five through really chapter two, verse one. We're also going to look at how emotionally and spiritually difficult it is to receive a rebuke. Like it is, you, you cannot be a, a spiritual, immature person and receive a rebuke because it sometimes is deeply painful. And we have really good textual reasons to be able to, to talk about that. We're going to talk about the purpose of rebuke and, and how God really uses rebuke to open our eyes to see him and his work in the world and finally um we want to see the grace the grace of rebuke so those are just to kind of lay that out a little bit at a time did i have that right jonathan yeah 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 Yeah. this is i think it's a really exciting section it gets quoted in the new testament (laughs) i mean this is buckle up i mean this is stunning when I, when I preached part of the section in church, I haven't done the other section yet. People came out of church and they, you, it's always fun when, when people are like, well, that was an interesting sermon pastor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that was okay. the reaction I got. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Well, I got to think about that one a little bit more, but first of all, we really wanted to talk about, let's get into it, Jonathan. Let's talk about the reality of rebuke. And, uh, Jonathan, just let me work through that verses uh, five to eleven there, and especially the opening up there. Here is just to kind of put us back in the context. Here is a complaining prophet. He's almost blasphemous. He's coming at God um, as as faithfully as he can in that moment, and God doesn't let him say amen. Like that. That should be your first clue. <laughs> that um, a rebuke is coming because God does not let you fin- even finish your prayer. Instead, he, he really interrupts Habakkuk. Now, there's no, there's no textual clues to that specifically. Like, we're not given in the, in the Hebrew, the, the Masoretic text, a clue that the Lord is speaking like we have in, in editorialized versions of in, in, in English t- translation. But what we have here is a, is a verbal cue. So all of a sudden, the verb goes plural. And it, it's, it's sort of a rhetorical device for the, the, the reader in Hebrew to say, oh, okay. So now we have a new speaker. We're going to find out that it's God. And now he's not just, and this is so interesting. You actually can't see this in English translation, but in the Hebrew and other languages like Spanish, you find out in, with, with the verbal cue that it's not just Habakkuk that's being addressed here. In, in, in fact, it's Habakkuk and Habakkuk's listeners and readers. 
So it's almost like um, one scholar put it like this, that what's happening here is Habakkuk put up his hand in class and he said, God, you're not fair. God, I don't think you're answering my prayers. God, I'm not even sure if you're saving. And God now, who's the teacher of the class, is going to respond back in full hearing of everybody else and say, everybody else, you listen in on, on this too, but I'm about to uh, rebuke Habakkuk and I want you to learn from this too. So we're getting indirectly a prophetic word for the first time in this book. And it's yeah, really, really important. I love how you, ahead, you um, mm -hmm. set up like the break there between verses four and five. Like there isn't what we would call um, dialogue markers there. It doesn't say Habakkuk said or the Lord said. We we pick it up from the utterances and, and you did that very sensitively. But it also shows like the pace of this is is rapid. It's Habakkuk has a cry and then it doesn't say Habakkuk said and, and Habakkuk ended his prayer or something like that. It's just boom. The Lord is all of a sudden speaking. So the, you get the sense of, of the of, of the emotional tenseness of this, the emotionality of it. And um, here the Lord is addressing all of us. And he, he's the reason why and the reason why we know and Habakkuk knows that this is a rebuke as well is because Habakkuk tells us that in, in verse 12, we um, we have Habakkuk responding to what the Lord says. And he says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Here he is. And, and this is, um, we're not going to have time to go into like how offensive this is. What he's saying, this is massive accusation here. God, you're not being God. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them. And here it is. So the, the, ba the Babylonians coming to execute judgment. And then, and then you can see how the Hebrew gets intensified. Um, and there's some clarification here. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Now, I, I actually think that that's probably not the best translation. Um, there is something else going on here. And actually, the KJV is um, helpful on this. It translates it. Thou hast established them for correction. So this for correction. And we'll talk about the difference between punishment, correction, discipline. There is a difference, and it's an, there's an important distinction there that we want to get into. And then you see the same thing. This is for correction. Um, in chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk bookends the, the, his, his response here by saying this, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. I'm reading the KGV because I think it's helpful. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. So he he's he's saying, look, I'm responding to God. I'm responding to my Lord right now. I'm responding to my God. And he is expecting the Lord to correct him. So he's he's got he's got reproof, he's got discipline, he's got going through the fire, all that stuff. This is what he was on his, on his mind. And so he is recognizing that the Babylonians um, are a reproof, their correction, their discipline. We're doing the whole word for Timothy, can you tell? And I can tell. <laughs> and that um, the Lord is going to continue to work with him in the future on this. And so this is where, why we're starting, where we're starting. We are starting with the reality, the reality, the cold certain, hard, difficult, probably shouldn't call it cold. This is very hot, I think, more than it is cold, <laughs> um, reality of um, chastisement in our lives. Right. Like, so basically, like in my English translation here, I'm staring, I got my Bible open here. It says the Lord's answer. But I think a better title might be um, the Lord's correction or the Lord's rebuke in so many ways. And I guess I think we need to step back for a second as we, you know, we look at the reality of correction, rebuke, um, discipline, chastisement, all of those different things, and invite ourselves to get sensitive to the ways that God brings that into our lives. And I see, I see at least two ways in this text that, that God brings that into our lives. One would be that it's mediated to us through the word of God. 
So the Lord sends someone into our lives and he, and he brings to us a word from scripture. Just let me show this to you. Um, let me open up my Bible and, and, and explain to you why this is, your thinking isn't right, your behavior is off, whatever it, it might be. That is one of the ways that the Lord rebukes us. But another way, and, and this is going to become utterly clear as we go along, and both of these, re- these, these means of discipline um, take place in the back of his life would be what I, you might call a circumstantial rebuke, where events um, come into our lives unasked for, like the Babylonians. And what that is, is it, it's the correction, rebuke, chastisement that the nation needed. And, and so... We want to be people who, instead of um, canceling rebuke, not being willing to listen to it, we want to be people who have strong enough relationships with people um, that we can hear that and be able to discern that and to use the prophetic language of the book of Habakkuk to see it and look at it and say, that is for me to learn. God is teaching me something here. I love your categories. I, I hadn't thought about those categories before of the the word of God coming into our lives and rebuking us, but also circumstantial rebuke, both experience in life and God's working through his word in our lives. I, I want to, re- I, I, I love that. I think that's helpful. I want to reflect on it like, like this um, with you and our listeners is I, I think the, the very first thing you do when, when you, we're all thinking about rebuke, we're all thinking about our life circumstances right now, I hope. And as we think about that, then we can realize that even saying, even suggesting right now that, that God would rebuke us is a challenge to us. And so I want to talk about that just a little bit. What, how big a challenge is this to us? Well, I, I was re- I read a piece by, um, a writer by the name of Susie Welch earlier this week. She she teaches at NYU um, in the business school, and she was commenting on um, one of the one of the viral um, some of the viral videos out there that are called "Lazy Girl Jobs." And I, I know people can get Pharisaical and prideful about that, oh, lazy girl jobs or whatever, and and we smile about this, but I, I think it's actually rather serious. It's it's a TikTok trend, and what it is is it's um, people advising. As I understand, it's people advising um, people how to find the lowest stress job you can find, um, so that you can go and basically live your best life. And when you when this NYU professor was digging up under that, trying to understand what is going, what is driving this trend, what she found out was was that um, these women are very, very afraid. And by the way, I don't think this is limited to women at all. It was just what this commentator was talking about. Um, Massively, massively afraid of anxiety, distress, um, stress and discomfort in life. And and so that what they were trying to do is find a way to live a life without any stress, without any discomfort. And here, I mean, just think about this. This this goes directly into our um, imagination of how we imagine God. So that there's there's actually studies. There are sociological studies of people who call themselves Christians who believe God um, like this. I'm I'm going to quote this study. Gold standard study um, says God is not demanding. He actually can't be. Because his job is to solve, listen to this, his job is to solve our problems and make people feel good. In short, God is something like combination divine butler and cosmic therapist. He is always on call, takes care of any problems that arise, and professionally helps people feel better about themselves. And so here's here's Habakkuk who is saying, that's not who God is at all. He, he is a God who did, who does, and who will discipline us. 
he will bring discomfort into our lives. Um, and we're not going to, we're not talking about the, the, the purpose of that right now. I'm stopping myself right now from talking about the purpose of two to, we're not going to talk about that quite yet. All I'm trying to emphasize is that he does do that. Now, here's why, here's why before we're going to talk about the purpose. We, I already said that. I think that this, knowing this, just stopping right there, we're not talking about the purpose yet. Knowing this is transformational for us, actually. Because what that means is that pain in our lives is not just pain. It's not just pain. When you name God in your pain, it, it, it transforms it into discipline. It is something that, that it's, it's, not, it's not just some accident. So, so, so Habakkuk looks at the Babylonians and, and he sees far more than just international war or international conflict or, or devastation to his community. He looks at it and he says, I see God. I see God. See, it's not, it's, not just, it's not just stress. It's not just discomfort. It's not just difficult. It's not just pain anymore. God is in it. And that transforms. You see, that transforms everything. So now it's not just merely suffering anymore. It's not just suffering anymore. So um, I want to pause. I, couple, I, just a couple more things to say about it, but I want to pause on that because I think I see you want to say something too. No, no, I, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree, agree. And I, I just think I keep going back in my head and in my heart thinking, this is why it's so important to constantly be asking ourselves the question, like, where is my pain? Where is my suffering? And then to ask the next question, what is God trying to teach me? What is God, where does God want to move me to? What, what type of correction and rebuke do I need in my life? And that when we do that, we let the word guide us into a, a spiritual response like that. We're, we're being responsible with the prophetic word that's coming and with the way that God is, is, is moving in our life. I love that. You're being so helpful to me today. Like, I, <laughs> because there's other options, right? Like, and I think people, when you don't name God in the trouble, what ends up happening then is the, the suffering remains merely suffering. And when the suffering is merely suffering, you end up going in, in one of two directions. One, you go to a place of self-pity. Oh, poor me. This is horrible. How could this happen? And because God isn't in it. There's, there, there isn't any hope. There isn't, there isn't any meaning to it. It's like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> and self-pity is a terrible place to be. Or the other place you move into is self-blame. You move into only mm -hmm. self-blame. You look at it and you say, well, oh my goodness, I should have made a better decision. Wow, how could I have possibly done that? I should have regulated my emotions better, whatever the case may be. So you start, you either start um, being upset about the circumstances in, in self-pity, or you move, you look at the circumstances, I should have done better, and you move into this place of self-blame. This is this is something very, very different from that. This is some looking at it and saying, where is God in this? God is in this. Where is God in this? And so we're we are what we're doing here is we are naming God in the trouble. We're naming God in the trouble. We're saying this, this is not merely suffering. This is chastisement. This is discipline. God is in this too. Right. And he's he's really interrupting our lives. And I love, I love pointing out what you said about the other options. Like I didn't see that, like self-pity or what was the other one? Um, self-blame. Self-blame. Right, right. Those are really apart from God. Those are when things are going wrong, those are our only options, and neither one is good. Well, so what we've seen so far, Jonathan, if you're ready to move on, I am. Like we so far, we've seen the reality of discipline and and the call to, to discern that in our lives. Um, we want to look at the difficulty of it as well, like especially emotionally speaking. And in Habakkuk, this book, it really points it out. This is already in verse five. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Uh, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So um, I just, I want to just do a little bit of Hebrew for our listeners just for a second. That phrase, be utterly amazed, um, is, is a repetition of the same Hebrew word with uh, uh, different um, uh, tenses, I guess you would call them. 
of the Hebrew word. It's a hip pa'el instead of a call. Perfect um, for for the for you Hebrew mavens out there. But it's a it, it's a word that's repeated twice for repetition, and and the vast majority of the uses of this word that that the NIV translates amazement is actually amazement in a negative way. So think more along the lines of being stunned, but in, in a horror. bad way, in horror. Like think think um, scream two or three or four or five, but it's real. Like you look at it and you're like, and, and, and your mouth drops to the ground in prayer and you say, oh my God. That's what he's saying. Like, this is, you're going to be amazed, but in the worst possible way. In, in fact, it's going to be such, you know, what you would consider to be bad news that you won't even be able to believe it. It's that bad. And then what the Lord goes on to do then is, is reveal with incredible clarity what is going to come down on their head, the, the Chaldeans. Um, and then we get this really rousing, um, almost uh, like the, the scholar Ernst Wenlin calls it, uh, it he, by the way, he's really difficult to read because he's so intellectually challenging, but he, he calls it a praise song for a very wicked and evil people like he, he is using language so about much that. irony there. It's like it, he glorifies them for, um, like I was trying to think about categories for, but the, the predominant um, comparison or metaphor and simile here is um, the animal kingdom. And they're almost all predators. <laughs> and they're, and, and he's, he's comparing them for uh, their velocity, their velocity, and their strength. So he, he's reaching well, and, for... And ruthlessness and violence. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so like he's reaching for the most violent, the, the strongest, the fastest, um, most violent things that, that, that he could think of. And so he's reaching here. For the for the animal kingdom, so he's saying the Babylonians are ruthless and impetuous. They sweep across the earth. They're feared and dreaded. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. So, like really hungry wolves, um, their horses are uh, cavalry gallops headlong. They're like eagles swooping down to devour. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and and gather prisoners like sand. So there he he subverts and and really inverts the 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 gift given to abraham like that that his descendants would be like the sand now the the babel the chaldeans are going to be like that but in a bad way and they're they're going to be idolaters judged guilty from the, the very beginning and and god says i'm bringing them down on you so this is going to be um really really bad you're going to feel awful about it and and so like just to kind of put a bow on it then rebuke chastisement discipline is is not always going to feel good in fact sometimes it's gonna you're gonna it's gonna feel awful it's gonna be difficult you're gonna want to well, turn it off the one the one thing i'd say like that was thank you for the exegesis that the one thing i would say to our listeners on this is that if you really want to understand what rebuke can feel like, enter into this poetic experience. This, this, is, this is a genre of scripture that we're meant to um, see. The Lord could have done this differently. He could have said, okay, he could have been very blunt and very quick with this and said, uh, hey, Habakkuk, no worries about the injustice. The Babylonians are going to come done. And, th and then he could have been done. That is not what the Lord does. The Lord here provides for Habakkuk of, of a poetic experience of the war that's going to come. To the point that, like when, like when I was sharing this with people, I was actually thinking about war veterans and 
thinking about the kind of um, reaction, I was tender about that, the kind of reaction, just because here you have this vision of, of horses swifter than leopards, like you can feel that. You can really feel that. And the, the violence of that, the, the um, trepidation in that, if you're the one they're coming for, the eagles, um, the the even even like the the, the way that it, that that it lands like at at the end you have these the you you you're told at the beginning that they don't care about international war crimes like they're not afraid of the Hague they're they're a lot of themselves like they're gonna do whatever they want and by the way you think that you can put up some city walls and you're safe oh no these people are masters at siege ramps and they're just gonna take you out like. You're done. You're done. They, and they don't care about you. They're gonna they're they're gonna sweep over you like the wind, and then they're gonna move on because you're nothing to them. <laughs> and that's it. And that is really it's that's the rebuke, and that is really hard to hear. It it, it is, and it, and like I love how like this is a really unique scripture. I love how. Um, the Lord's honest about that. He's like, you don't, you don't really want to know. You say you think you want to know, but you don't really want to know. This is going to be really hard for you, for you to take. And um, we need to, you know, I'm ready to go into some application here, Jonathan, if you are like, I, we need to be open to that. Like so many people just end a relationship. If, if um, you've got a hard thing to say. Um, and as a believer, I want to ask you not only to receive a rebuke, like we're talking about how to receive a rebuke. Well, um, I'm going to ask you to go one step further and be willing to even ask your pastor or a mature Christian person and say, help me with this. Did I do something wrong? Um, how can I think about this better and invite people to bring a word into your life and say, I actually had a Christian woman say this to me. She said, pastor, if I'm wrong, you have to tell me, even if it hurts, even if it hurts. And I, I love that faith. I love that faith. What That's really what Habakkuk is saying is sometimes it will. And um, it's, it's going to be difficult almost to the point of being unbelievable. Well, the scriptures, I want to say too, first of all, like to affirm that, one is that probably the second hardest thing to believe in all the world is that difficulty in life, um, God is, is calling to you in it. That's probably the second hard, like second hardest thing to believe, tremendous difficulty. But the scriptures say that they're, <laughs> well, I think you could make an argument from the scriptures. Let me put it like that, that there is one harder thing to believe. And, and because in Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul reworks um, Habakkuk's statement here in verse five. So Habakkuk says, um, you're not going to believe it even if you're told. And the apostle Paul reworks that. And he applies it to Jesus Christ <laughs> and the forgiveness of our sins. And um, so here we're presented with, with a God who does the unbelievable in our lives. He loves us so much that he, he, he loves us so much that he is willing to rebuke us. Um, but also, but also he loves us so much that we can trust that because he has given us his one and only son to forgive our sins and to reconcile us. Um, back to him and so well, that it, is the harder thing to believe actually and and it makes sense because like our conscience like we, we need to put this into the category of the law this is the law rebuke um it's god's alien work He's, luther talked about that this is god's alien. like he doesn't he, he doesn't love sharing uh, law with us but he he will do it in order to to um, push us to the gospel, he's going to do it. 
but the law is a constant companion with us in our in our hearts and our consciences and so it's easier to believe that we've done wrong and then to have god agree like yeah we've messed up and there's there's room for growth here what's harder to believe is that an an alien work you know an a an alien righteousness is gifted to us through Christ. And that's that's the rhetoric that that Paul uses in Acts 13. Then and, and he's like, don't miss out on this. Don't don't be like um the people of Habakkuk's day who weren't going to be able to believe a message from God. You need to believe this that that Jesus did in fact die and rise again for your forgiveness. Right. Right. So there you go. It's dip, it's hard. It's hard to take a rebuke. It's hard to take a rebuke. Right. So are we ready to move into the purpose of, of it, Jonathan? The purpose, I'm ready. The, the purpose of, of rebuke. So I want to, we, we have to do more text here, but I, I Jonathan, I wanted to go back to verse five and look at, at and, and, and also um, verse six. The purpose is really um, very, uh, transparent here like he says look at the nations and watch so that's a that's a sense word like the five senses i'm talking about and what he does what he's saying is you need to be able to open your eyes and and to be able to see instead of right ju not just what's right in front of you but one commentator said that you want to realize that god can see more than you can that god sees not only what's right in front of you, but laterally. So he's like, look at the nations and watch. And then he says, I am raising up the Babylonians. So the, here the purpose of rebuke, just to be super clear, is to help the believer, and especially Habakkuk, not only to see, yes, to see, but specifically to see God and to center God in the lives of his people. And in great um, world events, right? That God is sovereign over, over all of those things. So he's helping. The purpose of rebuke is to see. There's more to it than that. I know, Jonathan, you wanted to add on to that as well. Well, I, I want to say, I want to point out it works. Because what we have here, we, we're actually covering two different parts of the text here. First of all, you have the Lord answering um, Habakkuk's initial complaint. And then we have... Habakkuk um, reacting then, the Lord says, I'm just going to send you this rebuke, all of Judah, look what I'm going to do. And then Habakkuk reacts to that. And I, what you were saying is the Lord is wanting to center himself in the life of Habakkuk and, and in the life of, of the believers. And I want to point out then what happens in verse 12. And what I'd like to do is read it. I'm going to read you verses 12 and 13. And just listen to this goes by pretty quick, but listen to what what's actually happening here. And then um, just the first part of, of 14 it says, Lord, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And so what I want to point out here is, is a couple of things. First of all, Habakkuk, you, you made the argument before that God wants to be centered in, in the believer's hearts. Look at what's happening here. What is Habakkuk doing now that he's been rebuked? He is thinking on God. And he's in, in very helpful ways. So he says, Lord, are you not from eternity? There he is. He's thinking, he's thinking about God. Are you, not, are you not from eternity? He says, my God, my holy one, you can't die. And so what's happening is here Habakkuk is thinking about the in, infinitude of God. He says, God, you don't have any end. He, God, you're, you're the end of every end. You're, you're, you're before all things. You're after all things. God, you can't die. You're, think about that. There's another attribute of God, God there. God, here Habakkuk is saying, God, you are more than the author of life. You are life itself. Your life itself. You, you can, God, you can no more die 
then light can stop being light. Then red can stop being red. Then, then God, that's who you are. You can't die. You are life. And then so you notice this. He, he starts thinking about that in relationship to himself. He says, you're, you're my rock, God. You're my rock. So he's, not only is he thinking about God, but he's thinking about God. He's working on this in his own heart. He's thinking about God in relationship to himself. He says, God, if you're life and, and, and you're my God, that means I'm not going to die. I can't die. And so he's, he's always thinking about this. Look, um, God, this has to, you can discipline me, God, but it can't be end in my death. That's what he's saying. You can't end in my death. And, and it can't because God, look at this. You can't, you can't even see evil, which think about that. So think about that for a second. Not only it's one thing to touch evil. You have to, to, in order to touch evil, you have to come within arm's length of it. But he says, God, you can't even see it. Our, 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 our power of sight is, is, the, is the sense that reaches farthest from us, in a sense. Like, we can see it over there. Um, it, it's farther than what we can touch or taste or something like that. And, and Habakkuk is saying evil is so far from God that not only can he not touch it, he can't even see it. He's that pure. And so here Habakkuk is thinking about God, and he's thinking about his relationship with God. And that is exactly the purpose in suffering. Mm, to see God. Yep. That's exactly it. So he's, he's, uh, he's trying to take his fingers and, and pry open the spiritual eyes so that Habakkuk can see God. Um, to see his work and ways in the world, to trust that he's everlasting, to trust that he's light, to trust that he is he is rock. And I guess the only thing I wanted to say here is it, to the believer, uh, to the seer, we might say, is to open your eyes to that. And really at this point, like when you're receiving a buke, God, there's going to be a kind of sort that happens here. And I always, I really like the book of Proverbs for this, where you're either going to end up in, in the camp of fools who they just, you're going to like, the, the rebuke will be wasted on them because they don't want to grow um, or in the camp of the wise and where the wise are going to say, I don't know everything. It could be that I'm wrong. In fact, I do, I do now see like, to use that language, I do not see that I was wrong. I also believe in the forgiveness of sins. I, I believe in my Savior, Jesus. So I'm open to receiving that grace, and I can receive that grace where other people are like, they can't be wrong. They actually can't be wrong because they don't know about forgiveness. So like Solomon actually says, do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. And, and so we want to make sure that we get sorted in the camp of the wise where we're, we're, re, we're receiving this rebuke and we're allowing God to open up our eyes and begin to see, wow, God, I see you differently now. I, I'm trusting in you more now. I, I know that your life and that even though I don't understand this, that it, it must be coming from your good hand. Yeah, my my push on that, and you're saying the same thing, is the the mockers is going to throw it off, but the wise person is going to stay in it. And that's what, if, if you want to get started in with the wise, what you want to do is stay in the fight. You want to stay in the wrestle. That's what you want to do. The the reformers, the reformers of the church had a saying for this, so like they recognize this. So if you stay in the fight, and here's how you do it. Um, you, you have... Um, they have a Latin phrase, they called it oratio, meditatio, tentatio. And so it's, which is uh, the word for prayer, uh, meditation, and then um, testing or temptation. And so what's happening is you, you're suffering and so you pray. That's what you're doing, you're praying. Everybody talks about it. When you're suffering, that's what you do, you pray. You pray more. And then as you pray, what are you doing? It's what Habakkuk was doing, he's praying. And what are you doing? You're, you're talking to God. You're reflecting on God. You're, you're centering God. And then um, the way that you do that is you meditate on, you meditate on God's word. That's meditation. And then the, um, 
the temptation continues that virtuous cycle. So you pray and you meditate on God, you pray and you meditate on God, you pray and you meditate on God. And, and as you do, you come closer to God, you get clear on God. Um, and it's suffering that produces that, that virtuous cycle. And so you see that um, it is not a coincidence that some of the world's greatest theologians ever um, suffered some of the most, some of the most um, horrible things. So you, you had Luther and his anxieties infect him and, and CFW author and his um, depression and Gerhard and all the, the deaths in his immediate family. And so God, C.S. Lewis put it like this, uh, we ignore this very famous statement from C.S. Lewis. He said, we can ignore even pleasure. We, and that's true. We can just ignore it. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so it's, it's, staying, it's staying in the fight. It's staying in the fight, staying in the wrestling that um, you know, we get to do. We get to do. We actually get to do. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's, it's, it's for, it's the, the passage that we love to hate, I think, or hate to love. You can decide which, but God disciplines those he loves. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So uh, we, we've seen the reality of of rebuke so far. And we've seen the emotional difficulty of it. Like we'll be stunned, our mouths will be open. And we've seen the purpose, like God wants us to see God and, and to wrestle with him. And now I, I wanted, I thought we could just close off things with the grace of rebuke. And I just wanna pick up on what I think is an important point. And it's just this, that we pointed out earlier that the Lord does interrupt, um, Habakkuk's prayer, but in a lovely way and in a beautiful way and in a, in a poignant way. And um, a lot of scholars point this out. In, in Habakkuk's complaint, he used a lot of seeing language. So he says, this is verse three, why do you make me look? This is an example, add injustice. And and then he, he describes in word pairs what he has, God is supposedly making him look at. So discretion, violence, um, in all of these different things, wickedness, strife, and conflict. Well, then the Lord replies by picking up on that very language. He says, watch and look. And then he describes violence. So there's this book, and I think this is a helpful way of putting it. I, I like to use it for marriage counseling called um, Fighting for Your Marriage. And it really describes a good way of, of going through conflict. And what's really important in conflict, and, and this is specifically to marriage, but it goes more broadly than that, is that there would be communication that's actually listened to. That's actually listened to. So the wife says one thing and the husband says, so this is what you're saying? Help me understand that. Instead of thinking about your argument about why you're right. And, and what you have here is really conflict um, from Habakkuk's side. And you have this good God who is listening intently to Habakkuk. And he's going to use the same vocabulary to respond back. Okay. And that is, that is a grace. The Lord is listening to Habakkuk in all of his pain. And he's saying, Habakkuk, and he's sort of looking him in the eye and saying, I see you. I'm listening to you. I'm not condemning you, but I am rebuking you. <laughs> and this is, this is the tremendous grace that God doesn't come and like treat Habakkuk like some... Uh, some little ant to be smushed. And, and this is a credit. It, 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 it goes all the way to the character of God, that God is a saving God. So he, he wants to move Habakkuk to a different place. This is God's character. And he can do that. And I want, this is where we need to be deeply comforted because of the work of 
of God's Messiah, Jesus. That, that he has redeemed us by his blood, by his saving life, and, and justified us by his resurrection from, from the grave. And, and he's declared us not guilty. And so in a sense, anything that comes at us in life cannot be punishment, but rather chastisement. It's almost as if um, I think about it like those bumper lanes that you put on on a bowling lane. <laughs> like um, no matter what ball that we throw, um, it never goes in the gutter. But the ball sometimes is redirected. And so we cannot throw gutter balls because of grace. God's not going to allow it. But he, do, he will redirect us which is another way of saying rebuke. And so there's grace in it. It's incredible grace through Jesus for uh, ragged uh, prayers, um, ragged prophets, and um, struggling Christians. Hmm. I, I want to end there, but I have more I want to say on rebuke. More grace. Because yeah, I think, you got I think it. there's more grace. That's beautiful. So if you're listening to the podcast and you need a place to end, end right now, that was a great graceful thought. I want to, you, you're pointing out the grace in the first section. And what I want to do is point out the grace in this uh, second section, starting at verse 12. And what I want to do is I want to, I want to build that out really from one small little phrase. Um, actually, that's highly debated. And it says, we already talked about this one a little bit, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. It says, hear Habakkuk praise my God, my Holy One, you will never die. Now, this is a very hotly debated phrase um, because we think because the, the scribes who first copied this, um, they added vowels, they added vowels to the Hebrew letters there um, that made it say, my God, my Holy One, we will never die. So the, the, the pronoun there changed. It went from my God, my Holy One, you will never die to my God, my Holy One, we will never die. And if you, if you want to know that for sure that's a debate, go on to uh, your uh, in different Bible translations, you'll see it. Like the NIV has my God, my Holy One, you will never die. Go to ESV, for example, it's going to say my God, my Holy One, we will never die. Pretty sure the KJV has that too. Somebody can double, you know, uh, fact check that. But the point is, there's a debate here. And I don't want to try to solve the debate here. I, I can tell you why it exists. Um, it exists because those scribes, those initial copiers of the original text, they got nervous at even, even um, giving voice. See, here Habakkuk denies the possibility that, that, that um, God could die. But he raised the possibility in denying it. And so the scribes were upset about that. And they said, well, that can't be right. We got to change the pronoun. It, they couldn't have meant that. And it, it does show how you talk about a ragged prophet. This is here's a ragged prophet. And we're bordering on blasphemy here. Um, and so he's saying, you will never die. Now, I want to talk about why he says that. Why would he, why would he say that? Why would he even talk about that? Why would he even suggest it? And, and the reason he, he is thinking about, we already talked about this too, he's thinking about God in relationship to us. He's thinking about God in relationship to us, and he's saying, God, you made promises to us. You promised us the Messiah. We are your people. And we, if this happens, we, we're, we're dead, and you, that would mean you're dead. And so this can't happen. This can't happen, God. And so it what I'm trying to show you here is buried in the kernel of this, of this protest, I'll call it that, this protest against, against um, this, this coming rebuke is the belief, God, you will not kill us. <laughs> you won't kill us. We won't die. Now, okay, this is, we, we talked about this already, but I, I want to push on this just a little bit. Sometimes, when God rebukes you, it can feel like you are dying. And, and, 
And I want to talk about why that is. It's because a part of you is. So, okay, I want to unpack that just a little bit more. Anytime you're going to, anytime you read the theologians, you should about this stuff. You realize that in chastisement, God has to do two things, not one. God's goal is always to give us, his people, more and more and more life. That's his goal. It's always never, he's never actually killing you. It might feel like he's killing you. He's actually giving you more life. But to give you more life, God has to do two things, not one. One of the things he has to do is raise up new life in you. He has to give you more faith and more hope and more love and more peace and more joy and all those things. Also, he has to do this. Kill sin. He has to kill sin. This is why it's so sometimes I don't think since Timothy, sometimes I think we don't think about this enough, but the the Holy Spirit is not called the sweet spirit. <laughs> He's not. And when when he showed up on Pentecost, he is called a counselor, though. <laughs> he is called a counselor. But I suppose the counseling you know, both ways, right? Right, right. right. He is the and, Holy Spirit. And he showed up. He didn't show up with um like butterflies around the apostle's head on Pentecost. It was fire. <laughs> it was fire. And fire um, not only warms you, it burns you. And sin has to die. And new life has to raise up. When sin is dying in you, it hurts. It's like chemo. It's, it, it's like taking chemo. The, the cancer has to die in you. And it hurts. It's terrible. But in doing that, God is not killing you. It feels like it probably, but he is raising up new life in that. That's something we have to take by faith. God is not killing us. He's never killing us. He's always making, he's giving us more and more and more and more life. And the reason why we know that, so this is so, so interesting. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. That's what Habakkuk said. That's what he said. He said to God, you're God. You're God. You, God, you have no beginning. You have no end. God, you're before all things, you're after all things. And, and, and God, you're the author, you're the author of life. <laughs> That's who you are. You're not just the author of life, you are life itself. This God who is has no end ended in the cross of Jesus Christ. This, this God who is 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 the light, the life of the world, the light of the world. He went dark. He he died on the cross. He he did that. And so because he did that, we know that nothing we receive in this life, and this is a very critical distinction as Christians, nothing we read, no pain in our life is ever a punishment from God. Never. It's only discipline. It's only chastisement. It's never God taking something from you. It's only God giving you something as, as, as painful as it may be. It's, only, it's, it's, it's love. It's paternal love. Amen. Maybe, maybe what we need to do, Jonathan, is just kind of put our arms around everything we just said. And a, a good way to wrap this up might be to give a, a clear definition of what a prophetic word is, especially today. Like, I think a lot of people er erroneously think that a prophetic word is um, telling the future, like the prophet is sitting in front of a crystal ball and you know, looking, you, oh, you'll be, you're going to get married or like, uh, you're going to have this child or whatever. Um, but the, the biblical definition of, uh, of, of a prophetic word and, and a prophetic office is um, much more grounded than that. Like if even when the future was revealed and here it is, the purpose of the prophetic word wasn't just for them to know the future. It was never just that because God always wants us to live by faith. The purpose of the prophetic word is the same purpose of scripture today. And one of those purposes that we've been trying to, to drill home down on is, is that of the rebuke of discipline. And what, what we're trying to say in, in so many different and re, and, and, intensely um, repetitive ways is that we need to be really open to receiving rebuke well, to see the grace in it. If we could move backwards through it, to see the purpose in it, to, to understand that it's not going to feel good, not at all. 
at least sometimes. And finally, just to, to discern the reality of it. And when we get that, like when we open our eyes to that tentatio, to that, to that work of uh, the prophetic work in our life, it's going to be, it's going to be transformative. And just to kind of help us, if, if we could swing it into the next part of the book, um, we're going to see Habakkuk begin to be transformed in, in, in incredible ways as, as we continue on with the book. I, my prayer is the same, like as the pastoral writer of the Hebrews is right now. I hope everybody, if you made it this far, kudos to you if you did. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty long they, podcast today. Maybe. There would be a harvest for you. There would be a harvest for you of, of peace with God. Because when you, when, you, when you understand suffering like this in your life, you can receive it from his hand. You can, you can discern God and, and his grace in it. So there's peace in that. There's great peace in that and, and righteousness too, that, that we'd be trained for it. There would be something better for him in the world. And um, praise be to his holy name if that's true.